Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Ask God because He can give to you liberally with great abundance and without reproach. He will never get mad at you and snap at you for bothering Him. He says ask. So ask Him. God is ready and available to assist you. But have you ever asked God and nothing happened? Have you ever realized that there's a right way and a wrong way to ask for something? I've heard people ask, say, hey, give me that. Give me that. Wrong way to ask. Excuse me, could you hand that to me, please? That's the right way to ask. You're allowed to ask God for things, but what's the right way to do it? There's a right way and a wrong way. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, it says. That's the right way to ask. With faith, no doubting. If you were to be absolutely honest with yourself, and you're struggling through a trial, first off, did you even ask God about it at all? Be honest with yourself. Did you ask him first? Did you even ask? Did you go to him in prayer? Or did you look for other people's advice first? How did you do it? How did you start? If you did ask God and you prayed it out, did you go right back out into worrying and being distressed about what you just asked help for? Did you ask and then still stay freaked out about it? How did you ask? How did you conduct yourself after you, after you prayed? If you honestly prayed with no doubt, then why is the worry still there? If you really believed it when you asked God for help with that trial, how come you're still worrying? Worry is the red flag that says something's wrong with your faith. Do you believe God can pull this off or not? When you're driving down the road and your engine starts to make a crazy sound, that's a red flag, something's wrong with your engine. That's pretty obvious. But worry means that something's wrong with your faith. That should be obvious too. Worry, distress. Well, I'm not sure if God can really do this or not. That's, that's a sign something's wrong with your faith. When you ask God, ask without any doubt. No doubt, it says. None. No doubt. James is speaking pretty bluntly, if you ask me. He's, he's using blunt terms. He's not trying to make it appeasing to everybody across the board in political correctness, trying to keep from offending anybody. He's giving the direct truth, no doubt. He did not say, try to cut down on your doubt. Try to, try to cut down. Try to reduce it 50%. Okay, try to, I'm not asking too much. Try to reduce it 40%. Let's not hurt everybody. What he said, none. No doubt. Get rid of it all. Ray, that's pretty harsh. Yeah. Be as harsh with sin as you have to, to get it out of your life. Zero doubt. Cut and dried. Well, Ray, I can't do that. My trouble is so big. I mean, come on. If that's your mindset, 
If that's how you view it, I I can't do that. Then verse 6, it says, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That's where you stand if that's where you're at, if that's the way you view it. You ever notice how people seem to be obsessed with anything that the news tells them? Whatever's on the news, that's what they're talking about with everybody, or arguing about, actually. Nancy Pelosi said what? And that, that occupies their brain power for the week. Or it'll be Trump said what? Or so-and-so said what? And then that, that's the talk. That's what everybody has on their mind. You ever notice that nobody is upset and nobody's talking right now about the Iran-Contra affair? You ever notice that? You don't hear about it anymore. Nobody's saying anything. They're not carrying on about it on Facebook, getting into it about the Iran-Contra affair. Nobody's doing that. How come? Because that was in the 1980s. That's been a while. Today holds new topics to steer people around. And believe me, it'll be a whole new set of irritations to grumble about next year, too. It's going to be a whole different thing coming up. People are trained into being tossed about. Pelosi said what? Trump said what? You said this? What about the economy that? Tossed about. People are being trained to do that. Well, Ray, you got to know what's going on. I agree. I'm not debating that. What I'm saying is what owns your brain power? What owns your thought processes? What controls your behavior? What influences your conduct? Are you tossed about? Or are you in God's word that never changes? And let that be what controls you. Friends, we believers have got to learn how to trust God despite whatever mess is going on out there in the world. We've got to get a hold of this and plant ourselves down firmly into our faith in God and not allow ourselves to be driven around like waves on the sea. There's firmness in the Word of God. There's stability in the Word of God. You can trust the Word of God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ strap in and stay there. We have to stop allowing this always changing world to have its influence on us, but learn to allow our never changing God to provide us with the comfort and the assurity that this world can never give you. If you're going to ask God, you cannot do it with a tossed around mindset, because that is exactly what will make you doubt him. James 1 and 7 says, for, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If that's your mentality, all this, all that, all gosh, whatever, you're not going to get anything. Don't assume you'll get anything from God. God is not pleased with unstable, double-minded people. Double-minded means you change your mind a lot. One day it's this, the next day it's that, you're happy, you're upset, this all over the place because you're worried and this and whatever. Double-minded. You can't ever plant down on anything. It means you waver. You're undecided all the time. You're unsteady. Ultimately, you're not fully committed to any one thing. Jesus actually addressed this double-mindedness. He talked about two masters. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Pick one. You can only serve one. It's either money or him. You can't have a double-mindedness. You're either going to love one and hate the other, and then love the other and hate the one, whichever. Back and forth is double-mindedness. If you're going to ask wisdom of God, 
You have to do it with a pre-established, firm decision that you are going to trust Him to give you the answer. He's going to do it, and that He will do it, and that you will immediately dismiss anyone and anything that speaks contrary to what God says. Basically, I could say this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You ever heard that? If you are in trial, and I know we all are, and if you listen to everybody else's conflicting direction on how to deal with it, then you are being tossed about like a wave on the sea. And if you refuse to keep your trust in God alone, you're going to trust God one minute and trust the neighbor down the street the next minute. You're going to trust that guy over here that can't even manage his own bank account, that can't even manage his own life. You're going to listen to him. You're double-minded. You change too much. If you refuse to keep your trust in God alone, you're double-minded. And James said, don't let a man like this suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. You have to ask by faith. And your faith needs to be planted in Christ. When James said unstable, when he said unstable in all his ways, it was kind of indicating like somebody that's staggering drunk. You ever seen somebody staggering drunk? They walk out and they're they're falling and people have to hold them up and Would you ask that guy any advice for anything in that state? (laughs) I wouldn't. Let's be honest. If you want to ask God for wisdom, don't be staggering drunk in your faith. Don't be staggering drunk in how you trust and who you will listen to. Be stable in your trust in God so that your walk with Christ will be straight, with integrity, with oneness. Friends, can I tell you something? Right now is a good time to get right with Jesus Christ. Right now. Time's ticking. James 1 and 9. This is the perspective of rich and poor. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Okay, we have in verses 6 through through 8, James said that we should ask God in faith without any doubt. Now here in verse 9 to 11, the follow-up to our asking, after you ask, the follow-up to our asking is that after we have asked, then we need to provide evidence of our hope. Okay, you ask God, I really believe he's going to do it. Okay, now live like it. Do you really believe he's going to fix your trial? Live like it. Live like you believe it. Prove you believe it in how you conduct yourself. And so verses 9 to 11, the follow-up. How are we going to conduct ourselves after we have asked? Remember, people are watching us. Unbelievers are watching So then, after you've asked God in faith, we need to give something that is demonstrated, something that could be seen, something that could be put on display for others to see how the results of our asking turns out. You asked, how's that going for you? Well, they're going to see it in how you live. And so James covers both ends of the spectrum, whether you're a rich guy or a poor guy that has asked God of something. All of us need to demonstrate a faithful life. The lowly, the poor person should glory, the low person, should glory in his exaltation. Exaltation means lifting up. 
lifting up. The lowly brother should be glad in the condition of his high spiritual standing. See, he may be low on earth, but his spiritual standing with Christ is way up there. Glory in that. The poor guy should be thinking like this. I may be poor, but I am blessed richly by Almighty God. So that's what that means, to let the poor glory in his uh, elevation there. But it says, let the rich glory in his humiliation. The rich glory in humiliation. Because like a flower of the field, he gives us some imagery here, like a flower of the field, he will pass away. The sun will just bake it right off. It's very temporary, very temporary. And so the rich people, they can't act as though their money is going to give them a longer life than others, or that they could just buy their way out of their trial. Did you know that rich people can't buy their way out of trial? (laughs) Well, of course they can. They just buy anything they want. They don't suffer like us. You think so? You really believe that? They can't buy their way out of trial. So they can't act as though their money makes them better than other people. And so the rich should remember that financial prominence will soon pass away. It'll soon be over with. And great wealth will wither away like a flower in the hot sun. Therefore, to glory and humiliation, as he said, to glory and humiliation means that the rich should be glad even though they're in a frail state. They should be glad in their frailty. Even though we're in a temporary state, they should be glad because they have eternal glory in Christ Jesus. So that's how the the rich could glory in humiliation. I may be rich and high standing financially, but as frail as I am, I've got eternal glory in Jesus Christ. You see how that works? For the poor man to glory in his exaltation and the rich to glory in their humiliation would put the hope of their faith on full display for everybody to see it as evidence of the hope that they have. And so when you ask God by faith, immediately put your hope in Him, put all that on full display in how you live your life. How do you live your life? Show it. Are you rich? Are you poor? If you're poor, glory in your elevation that God will give you. If you're rich and way up there and everybody considers you way cream of the crop, glory in in your humiliation. That'll trick people. What's wrong with Him? And they'll begin to see, you ask Christ, you ask the Lord God, and He knows how to handle trial. And they'll want it too. You know, if you're poor and you ask God, but for some reason you cannot celebrate exaltation, because I know people struggle with that. You're poor. I can't celebrate an exaltation like that, Ray. Then it's obviously you didn't believe your prayer. No, I asked God. I asked God for real. Then how come you don't glory in your exaltation as God gives it? If you're rich and you asked of God, but you refuse to humble down, You refuse to realize the frailty. You think you're better than everybody else. But all I ask God, it's evident that you're still riding on your high horse with your money. You're proud. You didn't ask God with the proper faith. You didn't ask the right way. You're demonstrating how you truly believe, and it's not in God. So, to the poor, ask of God and then celebrate your uplifting, and to the rich, celebrate by humiliation. If you can truly do this, It's obvious, then, that you meant what you prayed. And that's the faith God's looking for. Genuine, real faith. James 1 and 12. Loving God under trials. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's good. First off, though, I want you to know that temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. I know people that get so upset when they're tempted thinking they sinned that they did wrong, but temptation is not sin. You got to think here, Jesus himself was tempted, but he never sinned. Jesus did not sin. Temptation is going to happen, so don't let it upset you. Rather, we should realize that we are blessed for enduring it. You're blessed for enduring temptation. And it actually comes with a reward from the Lord himself when you endure it. And so now when you see temptation starting to happen, and and you know you can, (laughs) when temptation starts to begin, you, you know it's coming on. Don't look at this as, oh no, look at this as an opportunity. This is a great opportunity. It is the testing of your faith. Remember what I said about the leaky pipes, okay? It's the testing of your faith. It makes you stronger. It shuts off the leaks. It shows you where the leaks are so that you can shut them off. Makes you better, more integral, makes you stronger. But that enduring it, not giving into it, endure it, don't give into it, brings you a crown from the Lord. That's great. I, now when temptation comes up, I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're, we're going to get better here. here I'm going to work for that crown. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist the temptation. Think crown-wise here, okay? When you, sen- when you sense temptation, say to yourself, nope, not going to do it, but I am going to get that crown. Your love for God should be the very thing that enables you to endure the temptation. Everybody says they love God. Everybody thinks they're saved. How do they measure up under temptation? Do they give into it every time with, without any effort? Or do they resist and say, no, I'm going I'm to endure this temptation and run away from anything that tempts or, or do the best you can to endure it? Things that tempt you, do you put yourself in submission to it or do you, get, or you try to run away from it? Do you try to stand up under or do you fall into it? Easy. We're going to fall into temptation, but how do you endure it? That's a big difference. When temptation strikes, the first thing you should do is put your trust in God and start asking him, God, I need wisdom here. How do I do this? The unmoving firmness of your love and your genuine, real trust in God is what will reveal your love of him before others. It will demonstrate your authenticity. If you're a faker or not, if, you're, if you think you're saved just because you say so, or are you really? Are you really his or not? You'll end up proving that. And so when the temptation comes to say, maybe have that, that drink or, or six drinks at the bar, or to do those awful drugs that you know you're not supposed to be doing, but it's a temptation, so you just, you just fall for that. Or guys, when you sit down at that computer and watch that pornography, the temptation, you can, you can endure it or you're going to give in to it. Which way do you go? Do you want that crown or not? The crown's a whole lot better than the temptation you fall to. Whatever the temptation may be, whatever form it comes in, remember, you're earning that crown that the Lord himself is going to give you, and let that help you to endure. Let that be your motivation for enduring the temptation, that there's that crown that's going to come with it. Think of it this way. If you're married, but you're tempted by someone else, If you give in to that temptation, then you don't really love your spouse, do you? If you're married and there's some girl down the street or somebody at work and you always give in to temptation with her, do you really love your wife? 
How can you tell your wife you really love her if you're always getting tempted by somebody else all the time? However, if you endure such temptation, then you are proving that you really do love your spouse. For real. Same with the Lord. Enduring temptation reveals, it proves, if you really love Him or not. Because only the genuine, real believers who really do, who honestly love the God, that honestly love God, they are going to be those who will really be saved, and they will get that crown of life. Don't you want that crown of life? Good golly, I do. How are you handling temptation? First John 4, verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you don't love, in other words, if you don't know how to firmly commit, if you don't know how to commit in for real, commit enough to deny temptations, then that is a problem with your faith. If you don't love like this, then you don't know God. Well, Ray, you can't say that. I didn't. God said it. He said it in his word. Deny it all you want to. It is scriptural. Let's read it again. He who does not love, who does not love, does not know God, for God is love. In other words, that's the kind of commitment God has for you, ultimate commitment. He died for you. He's going to save you. He's going to give you grace to save you, even though we're the ones that messed up. That is commitment. But if you don't love like this, you don't know him. Pure, simple truth. You see, we got to think of the flip side of the coin here. If enduring temptation gains you the crown of life, then it's obvious that not enduring temptation prevents you from gaining the crown of life. Now, this I'm not talking about getting salvation and losing it, because once you have it, it is a promise of God. What I'm talking about is, are you really a believer or not? Many people think they're saved. Matthew 7, they're going to say, Lord, here we are. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Uh, People are going to go, "I, I thought I was saved. How you handle temptation is going to say a lot about whether you believe in God or not, whether you're going to get that crown of life or not. If someone's spouse were to always run off with other people, that is a demonstration of no commitment, no faithfulness. Do you want the crown of life? Are you a genuine believer in the Lord? then realize how important it is for you to endure temptation. Are you really His? Are you honestly His? Here's what's going to prove it, if you're really His. Your ability to endure temptation. When sin tries to come up and take a hold of you, how do you deal with it? Here's what's going to prove it, your ability to endure temptation. Again, Jesus suffered heavy temptation, and He never sinned one time. He never sinned once. And in doing so, he proved the authenticity of his total love and devotion to the Father. Can we live like that through Jesus Christ? Sure we can. If you're truly in Jesus, you should be enduring temptation the exact same way that he did. Your steadfastness will reveal your love for God, what what it's really made of. Remember, the trials produce patience, and that you could also find out through the pressure where the flaws are so you can fix them. It'll show you what, it's, what you're really made of. It'll show if you're real or if you're faking it. When you're tempted, it's hard to see the advantage of enduring it. Remember the crown of life from the Lord. That's your motivation. That means you're going to live, man. That's your motivation. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.